All right, we're going to jump into the book of Galatians. We're going to start in chapter 1, verse 6, and go through verse 9. And I'm going to kind of recap you on what's going on in the book of Galatians. So go ahead and turn there if you have your Bibles. Galatians chapter 1, verse 6. After Paul kind of starts with his kind of initial greeting, he says in verse 6, I am astonished that you are so quickly deserting. Everyone say deserting. You're so quickly deserting him who called you in the grace of Christ and are turning to a different gospel. Everyone say different gospel. If you have a paper Bible, go and underline quickly deserting or turning to a different gospel. Note that in your mind. Verse 7, not that there is another one, not that there is a different gospel, but there are some who trouble you and want to distort the gospel of Christ. But even if we or an angel from heaven should preach to you a gospel contrary to the one we preach to you, let him be accursed. Everyone say accursed. That's like a word we don't use too much. It's a serious word. Let whoever preaches a contrary gospel be accursed. As we have said before, so now I say again, if anyone's preaching to you a gospel contrary to the one you received, let him be accursed. What we see in the book of Galatians when we open it up is that Paul is using some really, really strong language. Who's ever like had a moment with like like a teacher or a coach or maybe like a parent where it's like you sit down like in the living room with your siblings, like you sit down in class or in the locker room with your teammates or classmates and you know like y'all are about to get it. You ever have one of those? Like you know, you know. It's like like you you pulled like a Cowboys versus the Cardinals, lost to a bad team. It's like and like the coach comes in and you know like he's about to light you up. He's going to be like, how are we losing to these losers over here? He's like, like you know, like in those moments where it's like, yeah, we deserve this. And like, yeah, it's coming. Like you just brace yourself. Like, like you and your boys are like, like making packs. Like don't you dare make me laugh. All right? like, don't, like, don't, don't be like being stupid over there. Right? Like, like it's like one of these moments where Paul is like writing to the church and he, he has anger and frustration with the church. In, in every single one of Paul's letters, unless it's a sequel to one he's already written to a church, he always starts off with a nice like time of thanksgiving in his letters. He's always like, I, you know, I'm, I give thanks to God for your faith, for your love, for your unity, for all these different things. For this one, right away, he says, I'm astonished that you're so quickly deserting the gospel. He, he comes right off the gate and he's like, hey, what are you guys doing? Paul, Paul comes like with some, with some anger and frustration because what's happening in the church in Galatia is that there are false teachers infiltrating the church. And these false teachers, these false believers are, are people who grew up Jewish and, and, and converted to, to believing in the Messiah and Jesus. But, but they're telling the Gentiles, hey, in order to be saved, you have to be circumcised. You have to do these rituals and you have to follow the law. Some quick pastor math. This is the only math I can do pretty much besides like counting like how many dodgeballs we need because that's about all I need for my job. It's great. It's great. Youth pastor does not require much math. Thank God. That's why I'm somewhat qualified. But like, like the, the, the math here, the equation is that these, these false teachers are saying Jesus plus works equals salvation. Jesus plus works or Jesus plus religion, doing all the religious stuff equals salvation. And Paul is astonished that so many people are deserting the faith for this perverted gospel. We see that they are deserting the faith for a perverted, distorted, twisted, 
gospel. And as Paul continues on in Galatians 1.11 through 2.10, just to kind of story tell what happens here, Paul starts to tell the church about his conversion experience. If you know anything about Paul, who used to be named Saul in the book of Acts, like he's just riding along on his horse and all of a sudden it's like, boom, dude gets like taken off his horse, Holy Spirit comes and Jesus speaks to him and is like, Saul, why are you persecuting me? Can you imagine if like, like that happened to you? Like, that, that'd be crazy, right? Like, sometimes people are like, oh, like, Holy Spirit, like, Jesus is a gentleman. It's like, no, he wants you so bad. It's like, he might, like, knock you right upside the head and be like, I want you. And praise God for it, because we're stubborn. But what we see is, is Paul starts to tell, uh, tell the church in Galatia, this is how God has revealed himself to me. I didn't, I wasn't taught by some other, like, great pastor or preacher. Like, it was the Holy Spirit who taught me and brought me into faith. And then after 17 years, after many years of Paul walking with Jesus and, and gathering with other apostles, he returns to Jerusalem. And as Paul returns to Jerusalem after 17 years, he goes to gather with all the other apostles, the church leaders. And the goal of this is that the church leaders want to make sure that they are holding up the truth of the gospel. They want to make sure, hey, what, what are you preaching? What are you saying to your congregations? What are you saying? Because we want to make sure that we're unified in our teaching about Jesus. And so they want to keep the truth of the gospel. And the only other thing that they all agreed to doing in Galatians 2.16 or 2.10, this is fascinating to me. It says, only they asked us to remember the poor. The very thing I was eager to do. Let me make a quick side note here. Because I think it's important that we address this. I, I don't know how much you guys keep up like with the news. I barely watch any of the news. I'm not really on social media. But, but like I, I, I've heard and know enough about what's happening in Israel. And, and the reality is, is, like I was saying while, while we were praying, it is so easy for us to live like this. Where it's like the most important thing in your life is like if this boy or girl likes me or not. And like, that's not to like, like downplay, it's like, the reality is like our like lives as like middle schoolers, like high school, young adults, like, like it looks different a lot of people in the world. But, but I just want to kind of call us into awareness that there are very real people in our city, in our state, in our nation, and across the world who are in deep need. Like they're in deep physical need, like they are facing poverty. Like, they are facing war. Like, they don't have food. They don't have meals. And guys, I, like, I just want to challenge you a little bit. That's like, if you haven't thought or prayed for those people in a while, I want to challenge you to ask the Holy Spirit, Lord, break me out of my selfish bubble. And, and like, we all need that. But it's like, the reality is like, when we are so like, just wrapped up in our world here, like in sports or like in school or like in, in things here in the U.S., it's not to say that like, we're, like you guys aren't facing legitimate things. Like, I know like you are being tempted and you're being faced with, with like brokenness in our world, 100%. But also if we just kind of live like none of that is happening, I think we're actually going against what Jesus called us to do as the church. And we see from the very beginning, the church was known by their generosity, how they shared, how they brought the people who, who were broken and hurting and they were generous and gave as much as they could. So let, let's make this really, really practical. Who here has bought... <laughs> Some Dutch bros or some food within the last week? Raise your hand. Raise your hand. Raise your hand. Some of y'all are like, how do you have money? I don't even get allowance. I didn't get allowance growing up either. I know. It's a tough life. It's a tough life. I got you. I got you. But like, okay, 
But what, 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 keep your hands up one more time. And this is not to shame you, not to shame you. You can enjoy some coffee, if that's what you call Dutch bros. It's kind of like sugar. But, like, you can enjoy some Dutch bros or some, like, food. But just keep your hands up nice and high. Wave them at me. Everyone, everyone, everyone. Okay. This is my challenge. This is my challenge. It's really, really, really simple. Okay. If you were to save, like, if you were to forgo going out to eat, Maybe if you're going out to eat, like you get you so, like like some food, but you don't need to get like a ton of add-ons and sides and like like a, a milkshake, or, or maybe like you forgo Dutch Bros once or twice. That's money right there that you could give to people who need it. That's that's money right there that you could say, hey, I know like this would be nice, and it's okay to enjoy like nice things, tasty things, good things. But like, hey, this is something little where this is what I'm able to give. I know like no one in this room is making six figures, right? Like and maybe some of our leaders, I don't know, good for them. But like, like uh, n- not me and, and not, not you if you're in junior high or high school. I know like you're not like rolling in the dough. It's like I can fix the world's problems with my money. No, but what you can do is contribute and obey what Jesus puts in front of you. Okay, so, so what I want to challenge you is, is even in the very beginning of, of the church, what we see is that they want to keep the truth of the gospel and they want to be generous to the poor. Everyone say generous. They want to be generous. This is a huge portion of the gospel. And so now we go into Galatians 2, 11 through 16, where we're going to camp out for the rest of the night. Galatians 2, 11 will be up on the screens. This is where, where Paul is really kind of ramping up his argument of salvation is by faith Alone. Everyone say faith alone. Faith alone. You maybe heard this before, but I want to really zero in on this to understand what does that actually mean. Galatians 2 verse 11 says this. But when Cephas, or Peter, came to Antioch, I opposed him to his face because he stood condemned. For before certain men came from James, he was eating with the Gentiles. But when they came, he, he drew back and separated himself, fearing the circumcision party. And the rest of the Jews acted hypocritically along with him, so that even Barnabas was led astray by their hypocrisy. So, so Peter is here, he's like at the lunch table, right? Like, how many of you guys have ever done this if you're on with yourself? Like, you're at the lunch table, and it's like, maybe it's like you kind of like low-key fit in with like a, a certain group, like, like you're low-key a nerd, but you don't want people to know. It's like, I'm a cool athlete, but like, I actually like really nerd out with books. And then like, the cool athletes walk in, and you're like, oh, I'm getting up from this table, and I, like, I'm actually going to roast those people and act like I'm not friends with them. Any of y'all ever done that? I'll be, I'll, I'll be vulnerable. I've done it, okay? I've done it. Yeah, like this is what Peter is doing is as like he's like hanging out with these Gentile believers who have come into faith. But what happens is, is these people who, who are Jews, who follow the, the, the laws and the rituals that are common in their culture, when they start to show up, Peter's like, oh, like I, I want to be in with them. Like, see y'all losers. And, and so, and so he, he backs away from them in verse 14. Paul says, but when I saw that their conduct was not in step with the truth, of the gospel. Everyone say truth of the gospel. When I saw their kind was not in, in step with the truth of the gospel, I said to Cephas before them all, if you, though a Jew, live like a Gentile and not like a Jew, how can you force the Gentiles to live like Jews? And this is where I want to zero in. Verse 15. We ourselves are Jews by birth and not Gentile sinners, yet we know that a person is not justified. Everyone say not justified. A person is not justified or a person is not counted as righteous by works of the law, but through faith. Everyone say, through faith. But through faith in Jesus Christ. So we also have believed in Christ Jesus in order to be justified by faith in Christ and not by works of the law. Because by works of the law, no one will be justified. 
So what's happening here is, is Paul calls Peter out for what he's doing. And what we see is that, that these Jewish Christians, these Jewish believers are using their rituals and religion and like all the great things that they do to marginalize the Gentiles. Let me, let me say this really, really clearly because I, I have a strong passion for this, for specifically like you in this room. If your interpretation or understanding of the gospel is giving you an excuse or a license to, to see certain people as less than you, because they didn't grow up in the church, because they, they, they didn't grow up in the same culture as you. If you are letting your interpretation of the gospel be used to, to put people down or to see yourself as better than others, you are living in sin. You're, you're living in sin. If, if you're going to use the gospel, if you're going to use the fact like I've grown up a Christian and I serve, I serve on Friday nights and Sunday mornings, boom. Like, like I, you know, I, I follow, the, like I pray all the time. I read the Bible all the time. Like I ain't never done one of those bad sins. Like the worst thing I've done is like be mean to my little sibling. But he deserved it. But I went too far. But like, like you guys, like you guys are the ones going out and doing this. Like, and, and, and like when we use the gospel, when we try to use what we understand to be the gospel as a means to put certain people down, to see other people as less than, we're going against the very heart of Jesus. If you don't believe me, open up Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. When Jesus rebukes the Pharisees and the tax collectors for trying to use religion, for trying to use relationship with God as a means to have certain people out of the way, saying you can't follow Jesus, you're messy, you're broken. You do all these awful sins, but the reality is, is that the person who struggles with the worst sin is in equal need of justification by faith as the person who struggles with pride or selfishness. Right? Like this is what we believe to be like gospel truth. Like let, let's make this real. Like the terrorists who, who are shooting missiles at the people of Israel. Like the people who are murdering. They have equal need for the grace of God as you and you and me. If you have sin, which I think all of you have, huh? if you have sin and I have sin, that means every single one of us are in need of the grace of God. We all need to be justified, right? We all need to be justified. We all need to be made new, to be counted as righteous before God because within ourselves we do not have it. We are not Enough. Are you with me? Are you tracking with me? So what we see is with this false teaching, it's being used to keep certain people out. And they're saying that Jesus plus works equals salvation. And what we see in verse 16, go ahead and put it up on the screen for me, T-Roy. Verse 16 is that it says, yet we know that a person is not justified by works of the law. Everyone say not justified. Call and say with some passion, say not justified. A person is not justified. A person is not made right with God. Is not counted as righteous before God by works of the law, but through faith in Jesus Christ. So we also have believed in Christ Jesus in order to be justified by faith in Christ. Not by works of the law, because by works of the law, no one. Everyone say no one. By works of the law, no one will be justified. I have one simple point for you guys tonight. I want you to write this down. One simple point. My simple point is this. That Jesus is enough. That's it. Jesus is enough. Period. Jesus is enough 
for salvation. He doesn't need to be added to. Jesus Christ is enough for your fulfillment to every longing you have. Jesus is enough for you to live a life of purpose. Jesus is enough. Everyone say, Jesus is enough. Come on, everyone say, Jesus is enough. The reason why I think this is a primary point here that Paul is going after is, is what I would like to propose to you this evening is that I think anytime we start to doubt that Jesus is enough, it leads to a perverted gospel. Any, anytime we, we start to doubt that Jesus is not enough, or anytime we start to doubt that Jesus is enough, it leads to a perverted, a twisted gospel. And this is why the church in Galatia, they are, they are quickly deserting the faith because the perversion that they're hearing, the twist of the gospel that they're hearing is, yeah, yeah, Jesus is awesome. He's done some of the work, but you need to get your act together and go the rest of the way. Yeah, yeah, Jesus is awesome and he gave his life for you on the cross. But like, if you keep on doing like all the sin, like he's not going to let you in. He's going to be like, come on, bruh. Like, like that's what they were saying. You need to do A, B, C, and D to be added to what Jesus has done to be enough. And the reality is, is when we live thinking that, that maybe the cross wasn't enough, maybe Jesus' blood doesn't actually cover all of our sins, that leads us to a life of shame. It leads us to a life of shame where, where we, we put on ourselves a need for perfection. And when we fall short, we feel terrible. We feel ashamed of ourselves because if Jesus' blood isn't enough to actually forgive us and make us right with God once and for all, then yeah, every time you sin, you're going to be justified by works. When you sin, you fall short. You don't get to have a relationship with God. If that's what justification is about, if it's about works, if it's about what needs to be added to the finished work of Jesus, if he is not enough, if his sacrifice is not enough, it leads us to a life of shame. How about this one? When we start to doubt that Jesus can actually satisfy us. Have any of you ever doubted that Jesus can actually satisfy every longing of your soul? Yeah. I, th- I think if we had some, some more honest people, you'd be raising your hand. Like, like maybe, maybe it sounds a little too good to be true. Have you ever went into something thinking that like whatever you're about to like do or eat was going to like fill like a craving that you had? You guys ever had that? You, you, you guys can talk back to me. You're so quiet. Yeah, yeah, okay, yeah, right. Like, have you ever been hungry for something and it didn't deliver? Yeah. Hawkins said no. He's like, I eat anything, bruh. Like, no, like, like, one of the worst things ever is, like, when you are craving something. And then, like, you go to get it and, like, it lets you down. Right, let, me, let me share this story with you guys. Uh, a few years ago, I, I was a freshman in college at ORU. And, and so as a freshman in college at like a nice Christian university on like a Friday or Saturday night, like you're not going out like partying and drinking and doing all the crazy stuff because we sanctified, right? We, we sanctified. And so, so what do we do to like hang out late nights, bro, like late night vibes? Like what do we do? We go to Whataburger, which by the way, I think is the most overrated restaurant on planet Earth. Anyone agree with me? Thank you. All of our, all of our Texans, I'm... Texans, I'm sorry. I love the Cowboys. I love the San Antonio Spurs. But Whataburger is trash, period, okay? But like, so, so I, I did have faith in this moment because it was before Whataburger was here in Colorado Springs. And so I was like, bet, like, I get to go to Whataburger and like late night, ain't no one trying to go get a burger. Like, what do you go get late night at Whataburger? 
you get a honey butter chicken biscuit, right? Right, I got you, I got you, Holly. Like, you go get a honey butter chicken biscuit, or so I thought. So, like, I go to get, like, this honey butter chicken biscuit, and it's, like, me and two of my best friends, like, we're vibing, we're talking about, like, the, like, the NBA season, it's going to be great, which, by the way, NBA season's about to be crazy. I need to stop getting distracted. But, like, we, like we're, we're talking or whatever, and, and so my buddy, he, he opens up, like, the, the top part of his biscuit, because he's like, man, I feel like there's not very much, like, honey butter on here. And you don't go to Whataburger to get, like, a chicken biscuit. Like, you go to Chick-fil-A to get a chicken biscuit. Like, if you go to get a honey butter chicken biscuit, you want some honey butter. Am I right? Am I right? So, so he goes, he's like, I need some more honey butter. And just takes the biscuit off, and right in the middle of the biscuit, there's a fat, dead fly. Just huge. Like, like Oklahoma-sized bug. If you've been to Oklahoma, you know it's like, they come like this big, bro. Oh, my gosh. So it's like this Oklahoma-sized, like, this Oklahoma-sized fly that, like, guts are splattered. It, like, it looks like its own sauce on the honey butter chicken biscuit. Nice, like, purple, like, type thing. Yeah. And, and so he opens up that biscuit, and instantly it's like, nah, I ain't touching that. Like, like, nah, I'm not touching my biscuit. I don't care that a fly didn't die on mine. I'm looking at my boy's honey butter chicken biscuit, dead fly in the middle. That craving was not satisfied. That craving was not satisfied. It was like, what in the world is this? And I think if we were to be honest with ourselves, we experience that all the time as humans. Because what the world says, what the world promises is, hey, if you have enough stuff, if you have enough money, if you have the boyfriend, if you have the girlfriend, if you have the popularity, if you're the best athlete, if you're the best performer, if you're the best in school, if you are dot, 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 if you have dot, 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 you're going to be satisfied. Yeah, no, very good. You're, you're, you're tracking with me. Like, but the reality is like what we often buy into the slide and when we, when we get that thing, when we get that promotion, when we get whatever we've been waiting for and it doesn't satisfy or only satisfies for like a day. Right, think about like you as like a six-year-old. You loved your Christmas present on December 25th. On December 26th, it was like, mom, what's next? Right? Like, like we as humans, like we are constantly unsatisfied by anything this world has to offer. And this is the way we live. If we don't believe that Jesus is enough and we think that we have to go to, to other people, other things, accomplishments, achievements, we will always be left empty. Everyone say empty. You always be left empty. And friends, what we see in this passage is Paul is heartbroken. He's heartbroken. Everyone listen. Shh. Bring it back in. Bring it back in. Paul's heartbroken. As he looks at this church in Galatia that he preached the gospel to, he saw them give their lives to Jesus and receive the free gift of salvation. He's seeing false teaching tear this church apart. He's seeing the gospel, the good news of Jesus, be perverted into an ugly, dead fly, honey butter, chicken biscuit. And like, and like, he's heartbroken and he's angry. And friends, hear me. In our world, when we try to say Jesus plus whatever, Jesus plus good works, because you doubt that the cross was enough, or, or Jesus plus finally having that boyfriend or girlfriend, Jesus plus being the best on the team, getting that scholarship, getting whatever, Jesus plus that equals happiness. When we live that way, it will leave us hopeless, empty, and broken. It will leave us empty, hopeless, broken. But I believe that Jesus provides a better way. 
I believe it provides a better way. Track with me just for five more minutes, five more minutes. See, what, what we see in the gospel when we open up Galatians 2 is that, is that what Paul is saying is that we have a choice. We have a choice. Because all of us are in need of justification, right? We all have sinned and fallen short. So we all need to be made right with God somehow, which leaves us with a choice that we will either choose to be justified by faith. Everyone say by faith. Or we'll choose to be justified by works. Everyone say by works. We'll choose by faith or by works. Now this is what I want to propose to you is that I think in our heads, and many of you, if you've grown up in church, you know the right answer, right? You choose by faith. Yeah, of course Jesus is enough. Yeah, like, of course I'm going to put my faith in Jesus and, like, I get salvation. That's awesome. But I think if we're to be honest with ourselves, like, the way we actually live daily is not in alignment with that. We can, we can say that it's true in our heads that Jesus is enough. We can, we can tell people, yeah, yeah, Jesus is enough. He's all I need. But then the way we live, we're constantly searching in other people and other things to fulfill us. Right? That's the way that most of us live every single day. And the reason why I believe it's so easy for us to try to choose works is because to choose works is to choose self-sufficiency, the illusion of control, and pride. Self-sufficiency, the illusion of control, and pride. How many of you guys ever like, like you really enjoy like being in a really bad position and needing someone's help? You raise, okay, you can raise your hand. Okay, we'll say not the majority, right? <laughs> like, like how many of us as humans, it's like we want to be in a really bad spot in life where like we need someone. Like We'd much rather be self-sufficient, right? We'd much rather feel powerful. We'd much rather feel like we have everything in control. Like, like the way I experience this in my life is like I like to be the one driving the car. My, my high schoolers in, in here, any of you guys like that? It's like you, you and your friends are about to go out, and it's like, who's going to drive? Like, me. Me. And someone else raises their hands like, bro, you're a trash driver. You've been in three accidents. Put your hand down. I'm taking my car. Like, I don't care if I got, like, an ugly whip. Like, we're driving an accident. I'm safe. Right? Like, like we like being in control. Like, like, no one likes being kind of stuck in, like, a limbo. Like, I don't know what's going to happen. Like, we like the illusion of control. And we also really like being our own gods. Right? Shh. Like we like being our own gods, feeling like we have control, feeling like we have power. And this is why what, what for so many people to choose works looks promising because it says, okay, I don't have to put my, my, uh, all of my weight on eternity based on what Jesus has done. Like I can, I can make up for it. Like, like by good works, like if I pray enough, if I do enough, like if I'm a good enough person, like that should be enough. That, that should be enough. Like, I'm not as bad as that person. Like, yeah, I, like, lie sometimes. I deceive sometimes. Like, but that person would be, like, wild and, like, doing crazy stuff with their boyfriend, girlfriend. Like, like going out, like, like smoking, drinking. Like, they're doing all that. Like, I'm not as bad as them. Jesus confronts us very clearly in the Gospels when he tells us this story. He tells us this story of, of a tax collector and a Pharisee coming before God in the temple to pray. And the Pharisee, as he comes to God, he looks over the tax collector and he says, God, thank you that I'm not like that tax collector. Thank you I'm not like that tax collector. He's entitled and he's prideful. Shh, listen, listen, everyone look at me. He's entitled and prideful. And then we see the tax collector. 
And this tax collector has his head bowed and he's beating his chest and he's saying, have mercy on me that I'm a sinner. He understands that he is not enough. That only Christ is enough. And we do this so often when we try to choose works and we try to, to hold it all together ourselves because we want the illusion of control and we're prideful. But ultimately to choose justification by faith means this. It means to choose surrender, submission, and obedience. To choose justification by faith means to choose surrender, submission, and obedience. This is what Hebrews 11.1 1 tells us. It says, faith is the assurance of things hoped for, the conviction of things not seen. And what we see all throughout this book, like we just came out of this Alpha and Omega series in Genesis, we see like Noah and Abraham, people who have all sorts of mess. Like, right, like you pick up Genesis and it's like, these dudes are whack. Like, like you think about like King David, someone who's known as like a, a man after God's own heart. Like he commits adultery and murder. Like, like, he, like he does some crazy stuff. And what we see is that people who are known as men or women of faith, it's not because their works or their circumstances were always great. It's because they had a conviction of who God is. And the reality is, is that what faith leads us into is the understanding, God, I am not enough in myself, only you are. It draws us to humility. It draws us down to our knees to say, God, I need you. God, I need you. I am not enough. I can't satisfy myself. Nothing in this world can satisfy me. I need you. Worship team, you guys can go ahead and come on up. So this is what I want to do tonight. We haven't hit on anything tonight that probably for 99% of you, like, like, you know this stuff, right? Like, like, you've probably heard about, like, yeah, we're saved by, like, grace through faith. Yeah, I know that. Yeah, yeah, I, I know that the things of the world can't satisfy me. Yeah, 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 I know that. What I want you to do, and I want to challenge you right now, you can see where you are, just close your eyes. Just get, get kind of undistracted and close your eyes. Close your eyes. And I want us just to do some, some work with the Lord. I want us just to, to come to Jesus and I, and I want us to be honest with ourselves. Because I think for many people in this room, if you were to be honest with yourself, you, you're struggling to believe that Jesus is enough. Maybe you feel like he, he's let you down before. Maybe you feel like he, he's left you empty before. Close your eyes, close your eyes. Great, you can turn on the lights, perfect. Maybe if you were to be honest with yourself, you know in your head that the blood of Jesus is enough, that his sacrifice on the cross has paid for everything. But you also know that you live as a slave to fear and to shame every day of your life. Because you don't actually believe that God really forgives you. Because you don't really believe 
that God is so good and so merciful that despite you falling short time and time and time and time and time and time again, that his grace is sufficient for you. If you're in this room and, like, and you're doubting that Jesus can actually give you a life of fulfillment, that he can actually fill the longings that you're facing, the longing for acceptance, the longing to be loved. The longing to be seen. The longing to, to not be forgotten. Maybe you've struggled to believe that Jesus is the one who can fill that longing. What I want to challenge you to do tonight, friends, is I want you just to be really honest with Jesus. You're not, you're not doing yourself any favors in putting up a facade before Jesus. He, he can see your heart already. And the reason why we come to him in humility, in repentance, and openness is not for his sake, it's for ours. So we can come to him and actually lay down the burdens that we're carry, carrying, lay down the shame, lay down the fears, lay down the things that we have been going to and saying, God, I need you. Maybe your prayer in this room tonight is simply this, God, help me to believe that you're enough. Or maybe it's simply, God, give me the strength and the grace and the ability to be able to stop running to things that I know do not satisfy me. Trying to fill wounds of loneliness or rejection or abandonment by going from, from boyfriend to boyfriend or girlfriend to girlfriend or, or trying to go from, from kind of a great feeling of success, a high to a high in, in sports or, or in school or in whatever you do looking for acceptance and, and people around you. I think most of you in this room have felt let down by those things before. So maybe your prayer seems to be, God, help me to lay those things down, to stop going back to it over and over. I don't want to. I don't want to be a slave to the fear of man. I don't want to be a slave to shame. I don't want to be a slave things. Just take 30 seconds. Keep your eyes closed. This is, this is between you and Jesus. And hear me, he really wants you to know that he's with you. He really wants to remove the, the gross things in your heart. He really wants to remove where you have believed a perverted gospel so that you can see him and see yourself for he, who he is and for who you are. The truth of who he is as your God, as your Father, as your Savior, as everything you need. And the truth of who you are, someone who is forgiven, accepted by Jesus. Go ahead and stay in that space for another 30 seconds. Don't get distracted. Find yourself getting distracted. Just, just whisper the name Jesus. Find your, your mind wandering to say Jesus. And return to
God, would you show us? Where we have believed a perverted and twisted gospel. Where we have deserted the truth of the gospel. Try to add to it. God, I pray for my friends in this room who are in such bondage to shame. I know what that's like. I know how heavy those shackles feel. I know how hopeless that feels. God, I pray. Lord, that you would help them. Lord, just, not just to know in their heads, but to believe as truth with conviction in their hearts that you are enough for them. Father, that when you look at your sons and your daughters in this room who are stuck in shame, who feel guilty like they have to hide from you because of an addiction they continue to struggle with, because of maybe some doubts or fears they're facing, Father, I thank you that when you look at them, you have counted them as righteous. You have justified them. And that is finished work on the cross of Jesus Christ. So right now, Lord, we speak against the lies of the enemy that would try to speak over your sons and your daughters in this room that they are not forgiven, that they should be ashamed of themselves, that they should hide from you, that you don't forgive them, that you haven't justified them. God, I pray those lies would be silenced in the name of Jesus. Holy Spirit, expose those lies and set my brothers and sisters free tonight. And Lord, for those in this room who have gone to other things, other people, to be satisfied, God, would you reveal to us that you alone are enough, that Jesus is enough for us. He never leaves us or forsakes us. He frees us and, and helps us to walk in a freedom that's actually worth living in. Help us, Jesus. Help us, Holy Spirit.